And let's pray for God to work in our hearts through the word this morning. Such an amazing thing, Lord, that we can gather together and because of Christ, we are your temple. You come and indwell us when we gather in this way. And thanks for how you've already been working in us through worship and through spiritual gifts and through these testimonies. And Lord, now we pray that you'd come and work in us through the word. We know that Satan wants to pluck this word out of our hearts so it won't bear fruit. And we pray that you would put a stop to that and that we would each really be able to receive your word today. So come, I pray for your help, Lord. I need wisdom. I need help from you. So please come and do that. And I ask that you would speak to each of us and deeply impact each of us through this passage. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, to start off uh, the message this morning, I want you to think about this. And that is that if you're trusting Jesus Christ this morning, that is, is if, if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior and as your treasure, then some amazing things have already happened. Okay? You've been forgiven for all of your sins, past, present, and future. You've been clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness by faith alone. So when when God looks at you, he sees perfect righteousness covering you, and you're welcomed and you're loved because of Jesus' perfect righteousness. You've been reconciled to God. Even though you'd sinned against him and deserved his wrath, you've been reconciled because of what Christ has done. God's your father, your loving, caring father. And you've been adopted into God's family, so you're part of God's people. So those are all things that happened the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ. But there are also aspects of our salvation that are still future, that have not happened yet. Being glorified is a phrase that Paul uses. That's still future. Entering heaven, still future. Being resurrected from the dead, still future. So when it comes to those future things that haven't happened yet, how important in terms of those is is the way we live now in terms of having those happen? Do we need to live a certain way now in this life in order to have those happen? Or can we just live any way we want? Is the way we live now irrelevant for whether those events happen or not? Paul answers those questions in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. So let's turn there. This is a very important, powerful passage. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Now, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand because we want to bring one to you so you can study this passage with us. And Philippians 3 is on page 981 in the Bibles we're passing out. Philippians chapter 3, we'll be studying verses 12 through 16 this morning. Now, here's the broader context of this passage. Here's what's going on. Beginning at chapter 3, Paul is urging his readers, which includes all of us, to seek our joy in Jesus Christ. Seek our joy in Christ. And the reason that he encourages the Philippians, the the church in Philippi, to do that is because some of them were being tempted to seek their joy in their status of being Jewish. But Paul says, no, I've sought my joy in the status of being Jewish. In fact, I've got a lot more Jewish status than any of you do. 
And listen, the moment I met Jesus Christ, I saw that the joy of knowing Christ, that's where the surpassing joy is found. The joy of the status of being Jewish is nothing compared to the joy of knowing Christ. To know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your God, your Lord, your comfort, your strength, your friends, your guide, to know Jesus Christ to save your Lord and treasure is so far more real and satisfying and fulfilling than the status of being Jewish that Paul says he's forgotten all of that stuff. He's turned from everything else he used to trust for his joy and he is trusting and seeking his joy in Jesus Christ, obeying him, worshiping him, glorifying him, loving him. That's what Paul did. And so Paul wants to persuade everyone to do the same thing. And look at what he says then in verses 12 through 16 to persuade us. Start with verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, to understand this passage, we've got to be clear on verse 12 especially. And understand verse 12 we need to be clear on what Paul has not yet obtained. Notice verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this. So what is it that Paul has not yet obtained? And Paul gives two clues in verse 12. Did you catch that? First clue, he says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. So what Paul has not attained is perfection. And we know perfection is not attained until glory, until heaven. So Paul says he's not reached heaven yet. Heaven is still out there in the future. That's one clue. Second clue is the word this. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. So what does the this refer to? Well, it's all the things Paul has just mentioned in the previous verses. Okay, start with verse 8. Look at all the things that Paul includes in this this. This is what Paul has not yet attained. Verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count... Everything is loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He hasn't obtained that yet. The, the fullness of knowing Christ, he's still seeking. He wants to gain all of his that's involved in knowing Christ in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He's not attained that yet not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he's talking about the final judgment there where he's standing before God and he's going to be found in Christ, clothed with his righteousness. That hasn't happened yet. So he's seeking to have that happen. Verse 10, that I may know him. There's more dimensions of knowing Christ than Paul's experienced in this life and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, which means every possible effort, 
I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then verse 12, not that I have already obtained this, namely the things he's just mentioned in verses 8 through 11. Okay, now, what that means is there's aspects of salvation that Paul has already experienced in the past, but there's other aspects that are still future. And that's what Paul has just listed here. Now, now that might sound kind of strange to you, but if you study Paul, you'll find that he uses the word salvation in three different ways. Sometimes he talks about salvation as a past event that's happened. We have been saved, like Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace we have been saved through faith. Okay, Past tense, already been saved, past event. He also talks about being saved. And again, all of this is by grace alone, faith in Christ alone, not by any of our works. It's all by faith, but past saved. And then he also talks about being saved, 1 Corinthians 1.18. And he also talks about how we will be saved. He mentions that in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. And it's that future aspect of salvation that Paul's talking about here in verses 8 through 11. There's aspects of his salvation that he's not yet received, and he's determined to press on until he receives them. Now let's go back through that list. I just I want you I want you to be like drooling when you think about this list. Okay, what what awaits you? You're trusting Christ right now. You've received forgiveness. You've received adoption. Right? You've received justification. But look at what awaits in the future. Okay. Paul says he's not yet received the full gain of knowing Christ. That's the end of verse 8. So he presses on. I want, I want to gain all that there is in knowing Jesus Christ. He's not yet stood before God at that final judgment, holy God, sinful Paul, but he's found in Christ, clothed in his perfect righteousness. That hasn't happened yet. He wants to press on to have that happen. He knows there's more of Christ's power to be known in this life. So he's pressing on. I want to experience more of Christ's resurrection power changing me, working through me. He's pressing on to experience that more. He also knows there's more sweet sharing in Christ's sufferings. That close fellowship you know with Christ, some of the sweetest moments with Christ are when you are the most struggling and heartbroken. And Paul wants to press on. He wants all that there is in knowing Christ, the power side and the suffering side, and he knows he's not yet experienced the resurrection from the dead, okay? So he presses on. So he'll be raised from the dead. Now, these are things Paul has not yet obtained, which is why the goal of his life is he wants them. He wants to pursue them. Okay, so just get this picture in your mind. It's like final salvation is over here, but Paul is still back here, okay? And Paul needs to pursue, press on, forget the things that lie behind, move ahead in order to attain these things. Okay, so here's future salvation. Here's Paul back here. And he needs to pursue, press on in order to obtain those things. That's what Paul is saying in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make these things his own. Now, The problem with that picture, though, is that you could misunderstand it. Crucial not to misunderstand what Paul is saying here. You could think, well, if Paul needs to pursue final salvation, then there's some chance he may not make it. Like, what if he, like, falls flat or something? And and you might think, well, if, if we need to pursue final salvation, then there's some chance we won't make it. That would be a huge mistake. 
It's not what Paul is saying here, and he goes out of his way to make sure we don't make that huge mistake by what he says at the very end of verse 12. Read all of verse 12, and look at what he says in, those, in that last phrase. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that Christ Jesus has made Paul his own? The very moment that Paul turned to Christ by faith, the very moment that Christ saved Paul, at that moment, Christ made Paul his own. And when the all-powerful Jesus Christ made Paul his own, Paul was always going to be his own. When the all-powerful Jesus Christ made you his own, that means you will always be Christ's own. When the all-powerful Jesus Christ makes something its own, it is his forever. Nothing's going to change. We saw that back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Remember, the good work that God started in you, God will continue to perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus says, you're in my hand, and no one's going to pluck you out of my hand. I've got an all-powerful hand. You can't even jump out of my hand. I'm not going to let that happen. You are in my hand forever. So once Christ saves you, he makes you his own. You will be his. Now, let's unfold what that means. I just want to dig a little deeper into the beautiful work that God did when he saved you. Oh, we need to spend time exploring salvation and what, what God did when he saved us. Because so much strength and encouragement and comfort comes to us. And and so much display of his glory comes when we unpack that. So what happened when he made you his own? It started in eternity past. Even though he knew full well how you would sin, he set his love upon you and he chose to save you. This is before the foundation of the world. Knowing your sin. Great mercy chose to save you started there then 2000 years ago jesus christ came to the earth and he lived a perfectly righteous life for you so that by faith alone you would be clothed with his perfect righteousness completely covered by his perfect righteousness so when the father looks at you he sees perfect moral righteousness and loves you and accepts you delights in you Then he was punished on the cross for your place. He did this for you, for you, in your place, for your sin. So that the moment you put your trust in Christ, all your sins would be forgiven because he paid for your sin, the penalty of your sin. He endured God's wrath for your sin. Okay, then at some point in your life, so this this is all eternity past, and then 2,000 years ago when Christ came. Now, at some point in your life then, because of what Jesus Christ did, God, in great mercy and love, reached down from heaven and took that heart of stone. Remember that hard, rebellious heart of stone you used to have? He took that heart of stone and he just took it out of your heart. And he gave you a brand new heart, a heart of flesh, which loves Jesus and trusts Jesus. This is called being born again, regeneration. God did that. Started a powerful work, changed your heart, and that new nature he's put in you, it's never going to stop. That is an indestructible, God-given new nature that will never stop. It will move all the way to heaven, to resurrection, to the final judgment, and through into glory. 
And then, as you turned to Christ by faith, all your sins were forgiven, you were adopted, justified, and then God gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, whose power would keep you persevering in faith all the way to the end, whose power would strengthen you when you struggle, whose power would comfort you when it's difficult, whose power would guide you when you're confused, whose power would move you to repentance when you do wander off and sin, he'll bring you back. The power of the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and that indestructible power of the Holy Spirit will keep you persevering all the way in faith until the end. Jesus Christ made you his own. You are his now, you will be his forever. No one who Christ saves will not end up in heaven because he made you his own. And when the all-powerful Christ makes someone his own, you're his own. So final salvation is over there, and Paul is back here, but because Christ has made Paul his own, Paul knows Christ will enable him to keep persevering and pursuing all the way to the end. There's no doubt. Paul is going to keep going all the way to heaven. He will be there. You will keep going all the way. You will be there. No one who's been saved will not end up there. Crucial. Now, how does that truth impact Paul? This is so important to see the connection here in verse 12. Since Christ is going to get him from here to there... Does that mean Paul can just like put his life on cruise control? Just chill, right? I'll be there. What's on TV? You know, it's just, it's just kind of... No, that's not what Paul says. Look at verse 12 again. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Okay, so... While it's true that Christ will keep Paul pressing on all the way to heaven, Paul himself must keep pressing on to heaven. And notice that word because. One reason Paul presses on to heaven is because Christ Jesus has made him his own and because Christ will enable him to persevere all the way to the end. Now, this is really huge. Get get the way Paul is thinking here. Because you could think, well, if... If Jesus is going to keep me going all the way to the end, then I could just be spiritually lazy. It's not how Paul talks. It's not how it works. See, it's because Jesus will bring Paul to heaven that motivates Paul to press on to get to heaven. That sounds counterintuitive, I know. So let me try this illustration out for you to see if this works. Okay? <laughs> Let's say that off in the distance, 50 miles away, is Paradise Valley. Okay, see it? Beautiful, lush, green meadows, flowers, and best of all, God the Father and Jesus the Son are there. Paradise Valley, 50 miles away though, because it's 50 miles away. So you need to travel 50 miles in order to get there. Okay, so, so here you are, 50 miles, and there's Paradise Valley. And that travel, that 50-mile travel is not easy. God says in his word it will be hard. Okay, he says you need to go through persecution pass. All right, that's one of the verses that Angela read this morning. If you're reviled for the sake of Christ, you're blessed. But you've got to go through persecution pass where, where people will try to harm you, maybe will harm you. You need to climb over suffering summits. 
okay, with its heartbreaks. There's trials in the Christian life. You need to, to persevere through temptation trail where Satan is seeking to draw you off into sin and destroy you. And you need to keep walking on obedience path, even though it can be steep at times and rocky at times and difficult at times. So, so here's this 50 miles. Here you are. There's Paradise Valley. And that 50-mile trail is not easy. We need to travel that 50 miles in order to get to heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 24, he who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. Many verses like that, okay? We must travel the 50 miles in order to get to heaven. Now, it's not that our walking earns heaven, okay? That would be a terrible misunderstanding of what Paul is saying here. The only reason you can go to heaven is because Jesus earned heaven for you and you're connected to him by faith alone, right? So it's not that you earn it by your walking, but if we trust him and he says, there's joy, if we trust him and he says, walk to get that joy, your walking doesn't earn it, but you must walk to earn it, then we walk if we're trusting him. So genuine faith will walk, will go over suffering summit. It's also not that we need to walk perfectly. Okay? None of us walks this pathway perfectly. All of us stumbles. But the beauty of Christ is that, that when you stumble, when you walk off the path into sin swamp, for example, you can turn to Jesus as you are and say, Help! And he comes, comforts, strengthens, pulls you out of sin swamp, assures you of forgiveness through what he's done through the cross, sets you back on the path, let's go again. Okay, so it's not that we need to walk perfectly. It's not that our walking earns heaven. But it is true that we, we need to walk this 50-mile path in order to get to Paradise Valley. Here's the problem. It's hard. There's difficulties there. And so we could think, I can't make that. I'm not spiritually strong enough to make that. Which wouldn't be a wrong conclusion, by the way. Okay? And we could think, well, if... If, if, if it's going to be that hard, and if I may not make it, it'd just be better probably not even to try at all. I mean, why even start the difficulty of that? That's what we could think, okay? But Jesus says then, you don't understand. That's not how it works. I made you my own. You will make it. Everyone who I have saved will make it. There's absolutely no doubt about it. If you are genuinely trusting me right now, then you can be 100% certain that you will make it all the way to the end. I've purchased all the strength you need. I've purchased all the grace you need. I've purchased all the power you need on the cross. I will keep you going all the way to the end. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. That's what he's done. He will keep you from walking off the path in some final way. When we do sin, he will cause us to, to come back. He will give us all the, the comfort we need when we go through the trials. He will give us all the strength we need when we face the hardships. He will give us all the heart satisfaction we need to fight off the temptations. He will give us everything we need to keep walking on obedience path. Every time you stop and say, help, everything you need will come to you. Everything you need. And so Jesus will keep you walking all the way to the end. Even though it's hard, you will surely 
make it, and Paradise Valley will be yours. Even though it's hard, you will make it. Okay, so there you are, picture in your mind, you're looking ahead, there's Paradise Valley, 50 miles hard, and you need to understand, Jesus has promised that he will keep me persevering all the way to the end. So crucial to get that. Isn't that motivating? You will make it. Look ahead to Paradise Valley. You will be there. If you're trusting Jesus Christ right now, then you can know for sure he will keep you going all the way to the end. No one here who's trusting Christ should doubt that you'll be in heaven. Completely wrong conclusion from what the Bible teaches. He's promised he will keep you. You say, well, but what if, I, what if I'm not strong enough to overcome that temptation? He says, well, you're not, but I will give you the strength you need. What if I face a trial that is so great that it just breaks my heart, I get discouraged, and I walk away from the faith? That won't happen. I won't let that happen, Jesus says. I will meet you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. At every step of the way, he will keep us going. Now, in light of that then, what does Paul do? Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now notice the energy and the passion that's in those words. One thing I do, my life is centered on this one aim. It's not the only thing I do, okay? You've got your job, you've got your family, you've got your kids, okay? You've got your wife to take care of. It's not the only thing you do, but but this this is the one thing your life is centered around. One thing Paul says I do. He forgets what lies behind. He's turned from all those things he used to seek for his joy, all these things he used to pursue after. He's forgotten all those, and he is straining forward to what lies ahead. Straining forward. That's like a it's like a hundred yard dash person is like straining forward, okay? Full focus. Every nerve and muscle and tendon in his body focused on moving ahead. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what would Paul actually do? I mean, what would this look like in his, in his everyday life? Well, just pulling, putting other scriptures together, he would spend time nurturing his love for Christ. This is what he would want you to do too. Do you, do you spend time nurturing your love for Christ by opening up the scriptures, reading, and then praying, strengthen me, more of the work of your Holy Spirit in me. Please come. Do a mighty work. He would fight to trust God's promises when he's facing hardships and trials. God, help me to trust you. Who was it this morning who said when, when things don't seem like they're fitting together right? Anyway, a number of some spiritual gifts along those lines. But Forgive me that I've forgotten who that was. Anyway, that's so true. So much, Anne shared that. So much of the Christian life is faith. We trust the things that we don't understand. So help me to trust your promises. Like Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So Paul would have spent time praying over God's promises, fighting to trust them. Paul would have obeyed Christ by loving his fellow believers. Okay? Encouraging them, laying his life down for them, serving them, encouraging them, building them up in the faith, praying for them. And Paul would have loved lost people by reaching out to them, connecting with them, sharing the gospel with them. These are things that Paul would have done. There's one thing his life is centered on. 
forgetting the things that lie behind, and he's straining forward to what lies ahead. You know the story about Pilgrim's Progress that John Bunyan wrote, right? This is exactly the picture that John Bunyan has in mind. Here's Christian, there's the celestial city, and Christian's got to walk the road. But at every point in the way, God works, God strengthens, God encourages, God comforts. There's no doubt that Christian's going to make it, not because of how strong Christian is, but because of how faithful and strong God is. But Christian must walk. He must strain, he must seek, he must press on. It's battle, it's war, it's hard. It doesn't mean, okay, Jesus is going to do it, so I'll just kind of lie back here and let him do it. No, he, Jesus, works in and through our work. We work, he does the heavy lifting, but we work too, okay? So that's what Paul does. Has his mind set on one thing, forgets what's behind, strains forward to what lies ahead, presses on. So Paul does. So then what should we do? Verses 15 and 16. Look at what he says. Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And we're going to come back to that in a second. But So in other words, press on. Forget what lies behind. Strain forward to what lies ahead. Let those of us who are mature think this way. But then what he says next is kind of puzzling. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now, you could think that what Paul is saying here is, okay, those of you who are mature, press on to to seek all that God has for you in Christ, in glory, heaven, resurrection. Press on for that. If you're mature, okay, do that. If you're not mature yet, that's all right. God God will point it out to you in his good time. That's not what Paul is saying here. See, Paul never talks that way. When, When Paul understands that somebody is mistaken because he loves them so much, he corrects them. So that's, that's not what Paul is saying here. What I think Paul is saying is because you're mature, press on towards heaven. And if you're pressing on towards heaven and you're mistaken on some other minor topics, okay, don't divide over those. Don't become all upset. God will work all the, all the minor stuff out. If the main thing is in place, you're pressing on to heaven. You're fighting the fight of faith. You're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're on your way. If that main issue is in place, Holy Spirit will work out the other stuff. Don't sweat the details. you got the big picture in place. That's verse 15. And then verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. By God's grace through Christ, we've attained everything we need for salvation. Everything you need has been purchased for you by Christ and and given to you by Christ. So let's let's hold true to what Christ has done for us. Let's hold true to that by setting our eyes on heaven and by pressing on to receive all that Christ has attained for us. Okay, so let me close with this picture. John Piper uses the illustration. He says that people tend to be of one of two kinds. And so probably each of you, are, you'll be able to relate to one of these or the other one. Some people are, are like jellyfish. Okay, and jellyfish... Just like the currents of life take them wherever the currents take them. Okay, so these people just kind of float through life and circumstances take them one way. That friend might take them another way. That circumstance might take them another way. Jellyfish just kind of flow with the current of life. Okay, they just kind of do this thing and then just kind of the waters take them where they go. Okay, that's jellyfish. That may be what you're like. Other people are, are like dolphins. Okay, and dolphins don't just let the currents of life take them. They're just sitting there going with the currents. No, dolphins are... They're going in a direction. 
They want to go this way. And so if the current's this way, that's all right. They're going to keep going. If the current's that way, it's all right. Dolphins are, are going someplace. They have a, have a goal and a purpose. Jellyfish are just kind of, kind of flowing. Are you just a jellyfish when it comes to spiritual things? This kind of flowing in the circumstances, people? Or are you a dolphin with purpose and with direction and with energy and with straining forward and with striving ahead? So what would this look like? Take, just take your own heart, for example. And I, I want us to think about these as we come to the end of 2014 and look ahead to 2015. In light of what Paul has just said here, think about your, your own love for the Lord. Is your love for the Lord and your faith, is that just kind of, are you kind of jellyfish-like when it comes to that? It's like, well, you know, well, whatever, you know, just like, well, whatever. I'm not doing so well right now. Well, you know, I'll, maybe tomorrow I'll feel better, right? Or maybe next week or, you know, whatever. Is, 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 that, is that how you are in terms of your love for the Lord and your trust in Christ? Or are you dolphin-like? I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to let this... The word of Christ strengthens faith. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to pray. God, strengthen me. Help me. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. Fill me with love for Christ. Do a mighty work. I'm going to worship. I'm going to learn God's word. I'm going to memorize God's word. I'm going to fight the fight of faith. I'm, I'm going to not just be a jellyfish, like whatever spiritually, but I'm going to grow spiritually this next year. I'm going to learn more of God's word. I'm going to pray and experience more of God's power of the Holy Spirit changing my heart. Is that what you're doing? Jellyfish? Or dolphin-like? Okay, that turns your own heart. How about battling sin? Are you just kind of jellyfish-like? Well, yeah, I've got this area of sin, and it's, you know, I just constantly struggle with it. You know, just Christian life's not easy, you know, and, and we all sin, right? So that's, that's just jellyfish-like. No, 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 dolphin-like. Battle that sin. Overcome that sin. Okay, God's commands are not burdensome because by faith... The work of the Holy Spirit will change our hearts so sin can be overcome. No temptation's overtaken you, but such as is common to man, God's faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you're able by His grace to endure. So fight it. Resist it. Put it to death. Or are you just like jellyfish-like? Well, you know, we've all got our ears of sin, don't we? Right? Where's the current taking you today? Okay? No, no, no. Dolphin-like. Fight against sin. Pressing on. We're here. Paradise Valley. Part of that is fighting against sin. Jellyfish-like living is very dangerous. Okay, men, how about your, how about your marriage? Is your marriage just like, well, jellyfish-like? Well, you know, we're doing okay. We, we've had better times, but it's all right. Okay, or men, are are you dolphin-like, leading your wife into the Lord together? Let's follow Christ in 2015, hun. Let's get some time to pray together. Let's get some time in the Word together. These aren't works we're trying to earn something with. This is what it means to trust Jesus. This is part of walking together, two dolphins moving head towards Paradise Valley. Okay, or or is our marriage just like, you know, jellyfish-like? Well, just whatever, it's busy, you know. No, lead your wife. How about your family? Man, lead your family. So in a context of love and hugs and playing and laughter and joy, are, are you leading your family in, into, into the Lord? Or is it just like your family, well, we just kind of, you know, we're trying to try to survive. It's real busy, you know, Silicon Valley, everything's really busy. Or are you going someplace together as a family, spiritually? So you're in the Word together. You're praying together. You're talking to your kids about how's your heart? I mean, what's happening in you? How's school? How can I pray for you? What's going on? Oh, Dad, lead your family. 
How about fellowship? Are you just like jellyfish-like when it comes to fellowship? Well, I got some Christian friends, and you know, we're, we 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 love each other. Or are you dolphin-like, having a group of people where you're you're building each other's faith together? You're talking about the areas of struggle in your lives. You're praying for each other. You're sharing scripture together. You're in each other's lives together. You're helping each other grow. Over the last six months, you've been growing together. Is that what you're experiencing? That's church life. Not just like, well, we've got some friends and, you know. No, dolphin-like, growing together in, in, in Christ. And then how about advancing the gospel, mission? Are you just jellyfish-like when it comes to advancing the gospel? Well, you know, I... I'd like to do more, but it's been really busy at work lately, or, you know, I'm, I'm kind of shy, or just jellyfish-like. Or are you dolphin-like? Lord, help me to meet this neighbor, this woman at work. Help me to share the gospel with her. Now, this old friend from high school, I, I want to call them up and talk with them. Are there, are there people, unbelievers in your life, that you're loving, that you're serving, that you're reaching out to, that you're getting to know, that you're sharing the gospel with? This is what Jesus has called us to do. This is part of the path, okay? And then work. Are you just like jellyfish-like when it comes to work? You know, it's like, well, you just, you know, I work, you know, I've been here for a long time, whatever. Or are you dolphin-like? Whatever you do, Paul says, do your work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. Whether that's work like doing laundry, or whether that's work like planning a budget for the new project, or whether that's work like you know pouring cement, or whatever it is, doing your work hardly to display Christ's glory, to work hard for Christ. He is worth your best efforts at work. Are you jellyfish-like at work, or are you dolphin-like in work? The path is hard. Jesus did not pull any punches. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. There will be temptations that come. There will be persecution that comes. He was very candid with us about the path. But Paradise Valley is worth it all. And here's the beautiful thing. You're back here and you're looking ahead. You can be absolutely confident that you're trusting Christ right now. He will keep you persevering all the way to the end. He will comfort you. He will strengthen you. He will help you. But we must have that mindset that Paul had where I count everything else to be lost and I'm going to strain forward to what lies ahead. I'm going to press on. That must be our stance, our mode. And so is that your stance? Is that your mode? Or are you jellyfish-like? I want to call you to become dolphins in 2015. That's what Paul was, forging ahead by faith in Christ, trusting his grace, not as a work in which he can boast, not a work in which he's trying to earn anything from God, but out of faith, by faith alone, trusting Christ's mercy alone, moving ahead on the way to heaven with all of his might, with all of his power, with all of his passion. That's what I want to call you to do. Now, any questions that this passage raises? We like to take some time for questions just because it helps us dig it deeper into our hearts, get some things clarified if I misspoke or overstated something. So any questions that come up? Yes, sir. Let's, let's get a mic over to you so we can all hear your question. Yes, well... That could be a whole couple of sermons, but uh, like Ephesians chapter 1, 
a powerful passage on that, that before the foundations of the world, before you were born, knowing your sin, I mean, if you're, if you're trusting Jesus Christ right now, here's, here's where this all started. It started way back before, in eternity past when Jesus set his love upon you because of what he would do for you on the cross, and he chose to save you. So we could talk more about that afterwards if you wanted to, but it's a glorious truth that the God of the universe set his heart upon you in love. If you're trusting Christ right now, that's what he did. Sure. Scott. And there's one over here too. So encouraging because Satan will try to help you focus on the mire and the past. Will you sin then? And and no, forget what lies behind. Look to Christ now. New day, new mercy. Let's go. Yes, sir. Oh, over here first. Okay. Is that Ben? Hey, Ben. Go ahead. Your home group meeting you're talking about? No, Christmas. Oh, Christmas Day. I'm sorry. I'm, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Good job, Paul. Okay, keep going. Yes. That's a great question. Can dolphins relax? I think you can relax in a dolphin-esque kind of way, can't you? I mean, I totally. We, we, there's times where you got to rest. There's times you got to take a break. There's times. So, so yeah, it's not like you're just always like working, 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 working. But even when you rest, you can be in the Lord, resting in Him. Okay. Then there's something over here. I'll come back to Joe. But over here, sir. Go ahead. I'm here for standing this judgment. Welcome. I experienced myself. I've been a Christian for over 50 years. Wonderful. But I was like a dolphin, but I was doing my own thing. Ah. What was this phrase you said? Dead works. Dead works. Yes. And uh, there's a, so this was a third type of people. I was a jailfish. I was keep doing something. Yes. My own. Yes. So, and uh, I I used to read, read a lot of uh, Watchman Nee's book. Yes. He's, he told, uh, he said one place, he said, those people are 
hardest to give our will to God. Yes. Keep doing our own things. Yes. So, so there are three types of people then. There's jellyfish, and there's dolphins who are going in their own direction away from Christ. And then there's born-again, spirit-empowered dolphins who are moving towards Christ. Thank you. That's helpful. Okay? And then Joe. Yes. Um, and then he also strains, uh, forgetting the life of him, strains for life. That, that, that jives a lot with what Jesus teaches in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. Yes. Um, where it says that but when he came to himself, the prodigal son, he said, How many of my father's hired servants uh, have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In verse 20 he says, and he arose and came to his father. And yeah. Just a very small, he rose from his father, but the story says he was in a far off land. Yes, yes. That's right. Ooh, it's good. Jesus very deliberately says he didn't write a letter to his father and say, Father, we went to his father. Went there, yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. Thank you. Good illustration from Luke. One more. Pete. What is the upward call of? I mean, my understanding is, is it's what he's already said, is gaining Christ is really, you can summarize it all as, Paul says, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain Christ. What we want is more of Christ. He's the prize. It's like we're saying, Christ is my reward. So does that... Oh, well, that's... I think it means our highest joy as human beings is the joy of beholding Jesus Christ, God's glory in Christ. And the way we live now will bring us that joy of beholding Christ. We will gain the joy of beholding Him. You know, the times when you worship the Lord and you just sense the Lord's presence and your heart is filled, that's the prize. It's Him. It's, it's Christ. Here we see through a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. And the, the thought of the time, the sweetest times you've had of worship, that's just through a mirror dimly. And you're going to see Christ face to face. So, so he's the prize. He's the reward. Now, I'm, I'm not sure I'm answering your question, though. Yeah, I, I usually fall back on, on the next verse. That if we don't, basically, the way I think the next verse is, it's okay if you don't get it. Just keep pressing on whatever way you can. 
Yeah, I, I just don't. I, I don't think that that's that's what Paul's saying because that's just not how he ever talks. He never says to people, "Hey, if you don't get it, it's all right. God will point it out to you." He always says, "No, no, no, get it. This is so important. I've forgotten it all. I'm, I'm straining forward. Join me. Let's do this thing." And um, well, fifteen seems to be saying like, "Well, if you don't, maybe it's um, you know, basically the God. If you have a different attitude, I don't know if that's like if you don't believe in this or if you just don't understand it. It's kind of confidence building. Or I'll reveal it to you. It's almost like, well, just kind of press on, and it'll become clear to you." I, th- I think you could take it the verse that way. And that'd be a, it'd be a possible way to take it, but I, I don't think it's what the verse means. This is my opinion about that verse, because Paul never treats his concerns that way. He wants the whole Philippian church to be pressing on like he is. And so I think what he's saying is, all of those, all, all who are mature, let's do this, okay? Say, and then now, if you're doing this, if you have some other issues that you want to ask about or talk about or, or, or have some some disagreements about, God will work those things out if the main thing is in place. That's how I understand verse 15, for what it's worth. Okay, one last illustration. Okay, the football game is going to start. You know it's going to be hard. You're going to be hit. There's going to be injuries. Okay, but God has said, you're going to win. Your team will win. All right, you will win. And the harder you play, the more joy you're going to have in the victory. Okay, you will not be killed. All right, you may be injured. You won't be killed. You're going to win. Now, doesn't that motivate you to say, all right, let's play, let's play hard. I'm not going to be killed. I might be injured, but he'll take care of that. And the harder I play, the more joy I'm going to have, and vi- victory is guaranteed. Does that, does that stir your heart? Okay, women, uh, sorry, it's a football illustration. But anyway, so let's get in the game in 2015 and play with all our might. He will enable. He will empower. He will help. Victory is certain. Suffering will be there. He will comfort, and his joy will be worth it all. Let's stand together. Lord, I pray that you would be working in each of our hearts right now. Lord, all of us probably have some areas that we tend more towards jellyfish-like, and, and we, can, we need to become more dolphin-like towards you. And I I just pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit right now, you'd be stirring us with what's one area of my life that in 2015 I can seek you and ask for your help in becoming more dolphin-like. So, Lord, work in us as a church right now, I pray. And, Father, for anyone here who has not yet been saved, who you have not yet made your own, who does not have the certainty of entering heaven and and not receiving your wrath because of their sin, please, Lord, today, turn their hearts towards Christ and save them so they can enter into 2015 knowing you as their Father, knowing your forgiveness, knowing the certain certainty of heaven. Please do that, Lord, we pray. And thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.